Welcome to season two of the Coalition for Disabilities Talk and Disability podcast. Season one was titled Queering Ability. This season is titled Including Ability. I'm Sarah Shopper and I currently serve as the research coordinator for the Coalition for Disability within ACPA Student Educators International. Today I'll be talking about chapter six, job searching with a disability and employing individuals with disabilities with special guest, Dr. Lance Alexis, Director of ADA Compliance at Middle Tennessee State University. Let's get started. Dr. Alexis, welcome to the podcast. I'm so thankful you were able to join me for this conversation. Yes, thank you. Um, it's unfortunate you weren't able to get the authors, of course, but hopefully I can provide some, some assistance to, to your listeners. We greatly appreciate it. As you know, I've already shared with our listeners the topic of our discussion today. Let's start with you sharing with our listeners a little bit about why you agreed to be our special guest for us today in relation to this chapter. Sure. Uh, well, it's a topic that I'm uh, professionally passionate about and also personally passionate about. I've enjoyed a um, career in disability and higher ed uh, that has now spanned over a decade. Uh, and I've been on both sides of it, if you will. I've worked with students um, in a disability services capacity, uh, and often as they approach graduation, they um, would come and ask, you know, how I'm looking for a job now. Do you have any advice, any tips about interviewing, about job search, and that sort of thing? So that was a common conversation, and a conversation I always enjoyed having uh, because it just showed that level of maturity. It's that nice growth that they recognize that, hey, they're moving on in their lives and need to recognize uh, what it means to have a job and what it, or how, how to get a job and those type of things. So always a conversation I enjoyed having with students. And then I transitioned um, to this position as director of ADA compliance. Um, and part of my job is to do work uh, workspace accommodations. Uh, and so working with um, employ employees now, so now I'm on the other side, not perspective, you know, assisting students who might be getting a job or might be interviewing, but once people have been interviewed and gotten jobs, um, what accommodations they might need or how to approach the concept of disability, or in some cases, not to approach it <laughs> uh, <laughs> and understanding that. Uh, so I've, I've, you know, been interested and done trainings on that side as well. So it's just on both sides, on, uh, I've all been involved and been interested and enjoyed um, ample opportunities to engage in this topic. And it, um, and so being able to um, speak about it is, uh, is an experience that I didn't want to pass up, and I'm happy to have it. Well, we are very thankful that you have had it, the experiences you've had on both sides of it, and we hopefully will get into that a little bit more today. Okay. Um, taking a step back, I'm just curious if maybe you'll share with our listeners a little bit about what your thoughts were when you first learned about this monograph that the coalition put out. Sure, I was glad to see it. Uh, it's a discussion worth definitely worth having, uh, and needs and needs to be had. Uh, honestly, the part that I really jumped out at me uh, and I appreciated so much was the was the concept of inclusivity, and then you also then use the word accommodation. All too often, we see accommodation as almost separate from inclusivity or sex from an access mindset. Uh, when in reality, it's an absolute part of it. Um, so all, all too often I've seen and been to and engaged in presentations that talk about access versus accommodation. And I've always been perturbed and confused by, sure. by that um, because accommodation is a necessary part of, of access and part of inclusion. 
so that there's a way to be proactive, but you also always have to be reactive too. Um, so I was excited to see that, excited to see that resource out there. All too often, the discussion around disability and work um, is so... Uh, it, it's there's such a tunnel vision to it, I guess. I, I, in, in speaking with people with disabilities, uh, it's come to my attention that throughout their, really their existence, especially their educational existence, uh, it's been such a very specific topic when, when it comes up, that there are only certain kinds of jobs or there's only certain this, certain that, that they can do um, and that they should just focus on these areas. Um, so it's nice to see a resource that that opens up that conversation because I just don't think people with disabilities, unfortunately, are given a myriad of options or introduced to a myriad of options. Maybe is a better way to put it, and that's an unfortunate thing that they don't get a complete wide array of options. So it's nice to see um, this discussion that inclusivity is important in all areas and all aspects. They're welcomed in all aspects, and, and then especially specific to the workspace. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, and I'm kind of curious a little bit about that um, and where you might think that, that that comes from, because I know what you're talking about in the sense of folks sort of pigeonhole um, folks with disabilities as only able to do a certain kind of work. I do think it happens in um, higher education as well. If you are looking for employment within higher education and you have a disability, you know, what kind of work can you do? Right. Um, but I'm, I'm curious as to what you think about where that comes from. And, um, and then also I would be curious to know if that's a conversation. So I'm hearing that as a conversation you're having with those looking for jobs, but I'm also curious to know if that's conversations you're having with those hiring people, you know, if they might have a mindset that's tunnel visioned about um, the type of person. And if you have to broaden that for them related to disability at all, I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. Uh, I, there's definitely two questions there, uh, both sides. Where does it come from? Uh, man, I can I could talk for a while on that <laughs> um, and, and get into some controversial opinions, but you know I'll try to refrain. Um, it's I think ultimately though it comes from just a, a misinterpretation of disability uh, and a disbelief in, uh, unfortunately, in the personhood of a person with, with a disability. Um, and what I mean by that ultimately, uh, is that when, when we think of people, um, and when we think of, we are, and I think properly, uh, expected to, ex to assume competence, assume that, that an, 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 a human being is competent and able, um, has, you know, faculties to do just about anything. Set your mind to it and you can do it, right? Yeah, dream big, those type of things. And then when, for whatever reason, uh, and I, I, once again, I can get into what I think those reasons are, but <laughs> I'll refrain. Um, when the word disability comes into the equation, all of a sudden that, per, that part of personhood is lost. Mm. And all of a sudden is, it's not dream big anymore. It's not, you're able to do, you know, we believe in you, you can do anything. And you know, I think about, to simplify it, I guess, and maybe oversimplify it, you know, it's the, the idea of, you know, where person first language came from. The idea of that was that, hey, you got to remember their people first. 
And I know there's some debate on whether we should use, that's not what I'm getting into here. The concept of personhood language or person-first language came out of the idea of remember their people first. And mm-hmm. I think that concept, it, there's a reason that came, came from somewhere is that people forget that people with disabilities are people first. And this is another example of that. And so they get pigeonholed and they lose that part of, you know, you can do anything, you can do this. They they automatically, they lose it. That's another part of personhood that they lose. Yeah. I've heard someone phrase it as, I read this in a book somewhere, that they felt as though they were being treated as a person without a future. Yeah. Um, and And we're not supposed to do that with people. Right. A hundred percent. I agree with that. A hundred percent. I agreed with that. What are your thoughts about sort of the flip side? So the other question I kind of asked, or what are your experiences? So from the employer side, uh, the really what I emphasize, and I think it's important to emphasize, especially with the idea of inclusivity, and it's, it's an answer I wrote kind of for a later question. So I might be, I might be okay. Um, but is that it's a very fine line uh, and it's it's a, del- it's a very delicate line when we're talking about when you're fostering inclusivity, but avoiding othering. And I think it's, it's very, and if not done right, you can definitely fall into the othering category thinking you're fostering inclusivity. Um, so by one thing I do when talking with employers is to stress I don't, I'll be honest, I, I, I want to be very clear here. I love talking about disability culture. I love talking about controversial topics. I love talking about things, like I said, the dissolution of personhood and things like that. I'll, I'll talk about that stuff for days. But when I'm talking about talking to employers, I don't talk about disability culture. I don't talk about those things. I, I, I want to live where they live and I, I want to make it easy for them. I don't want to take the chance that I will further other a person with a disability by throwing up a bunch of different things that they're not comfortable with. And so what I always emphasize is that, you know, don't, there's no reason to talk about the disability. Don't, you know, there's just no reason. And I don't even get into the legality of it. Of course, we all know it'd be against the law and all that. But once again, I don't want, that's another thing that will make it other, other. Mm-hmm. And so I just talk about, he asked the same questions. Don't ask different questions. But the person's got, don't ask, the why ask a different question? Well, but but I need to know if, well, there's a way you can ask that. And the authors do a really good job um, of giving, of framing that. You can ask a question about a person's disability, but don't ask about the disability. Ask about it in relation to the job skills. So once again, keeping them in their lane, keeping them comfortable. Um, ask about the job duties. Ask about the job skills you're looking for. These are the same questions you'll ask anybody. So in other words, don't freak out. Don't do this. Don't just ask the same questions. And it's just so, it's just so funny. It's but, 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 and it's like, just ask the same questions, but they're so uncomfortable. And, and really my emphasis is to remove that discomfort, not by trying to over-educate. It's not, what's the right word I'm looking for? It's not realistic. To expect when I'm sitting down with someone and an hour for an hour long training or whatever or one on one training to be able to educate them about disability culture, I, I I don't think that's realistic. But what I can do is say, "What's your area of expertise? How would you conduct this interview?" Well, I already do that, so this is how I do. It. Okay, then just do that, uh, and just open their eyes that they don't have to leave their lane; they just stay in their lane and stay comfortable. 
And I think people respond to that. Ultimately, while it's not what we're looking for, we would love for people to be super educated and, and advocates and this, that, and the other. And I'm all for that. I just don't think that's realistic. And so when I'm meeting with people, I want to meet where they are and just get them right back in their lane. Because I what I find out all too often is when people leave their lanes, things go real. It's, it's, it's like it's like being on the highway on the interstate. Stay in your lane. When you leave your lane, bad things happen. Uh, and and that's when bad things happen. That's when illegal things happen. That's when lawsuits happen. That's when everybody just stays in their lane and understands and, and is comfortable in their expertise. We're good. And that's what I and that's what I try to emphasize. Wonderful. I think that that's really helpful. Um, and I think the metaphor of driving on the interstate is very helpful. But also I'm as I shared with you earlier, I'm currently living in a winter state and it's <laughs> been snowy outside. So if you don't if you're not careful, then um, uh, something could happen easily that could cause um, challenges. So if you could share with us a little bit about your experience with this chapter's topic and whatever you're comfortable in sharing. I think I mentioned a, a little bit earlier, um, as far as the topic is concerned, I'm on the, I guess I'm not on the job search side. I'm not a person with a disability, um, but I assist employers in under, better understanding um, how to um, approach disability, or as I believe I said earlier, how not to approach disability <laughs> yes. more often than not. And then also working with um, pre presenting on the topic, training on the topic. I also go out into the community, and I've really enjoyed this op this opportunity in speaking with disability groups, um, so groups of people with disabilities, um, and, and about this topic, about jobs, about job seeking, um, encouraging them um, to approach the university not only as stu potential students, um, but also as potential employees. Don't forget the, about the university as as a good employment um, opportunity because I mean university or campuses are essentially little cities onto themselves and have a just a wide range of um, job opportunities. Um, so I've, I've had that opportunity to go and speak with the, with groups of people, um, organizations that are dedicated um, to uh, working with people with disabilities and talking about that as well. Uh, and then um, in previous employment, uh, I was a dis in disability services, so I got to work with students in higher ed, uh, and they would often uh, approach, I think I mentioned this earlier, but would often approach at the, as they were approaching graduation and, and looking for advice on job hunting and job searching. Uh, I spent a lot of time and continue to spend a lot of time uh, working within this topic. Wonderful. Thank you. What is something you learned from this chapter that you'd like to share with our listeners? I was happy to see, um, and wasn't aware of, of the resources. Uh, one question that I've been asked, as a general thing, by employers and by the people um, at the university, is how do we, for lack of a better term, target people with disabilities when we're sending out job information and that sort of thing, uh, because they do have routes to um, to send for people of of different um, races, uh, people of different. Um, genders, things along those lines. Uh, there, there are publications uh, and pieces like that where that they can send uh, once again to target those demographics. And there really isn't much on the disability front. So it was nice to see um, that there was at least something and maybe that's a growing thing because, I, I mean, as far as diversity goes and the different areas that we consider part of diversity, 
when um, in employment, especially, and as and as major employers do look to, and uh, it's always a goal um, to diversify their workforce. They are, I mean, I, I can say it here, and I'm I'm sure other universities and corporations, you know, once again, big employers, they're trying to diversify their workforce, and they are once again targeting demographics and sending information out, sending job postings and job information out um, to publications, to services, to websites, to um, different areas, once again, hoping to reach these certain areas so they can um, actively try to diversify their workforce. And disability is part of that. Um, and so if we can grow that um, and grow those opportunities, I think employers will be very open to that um, and would welcome that. And so it's good to see that there is something, um, but it, it also, it, it's a very, it's not much. Uh, and it'd be nice if that grew. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Alexis, if you could please share with us a little bit about your educational background and three words you would use to describe yourself. Oh my goodness, the three <laughs> words thing is hard. Um, um, so as far as um, college education, um, I, I'm basically I've dedicated my life to higher education. Uh, and the as far as uh, my the degrees that I earned, um, a bachelor's of arts, and a master's of arts um, at the at Ole Miss or University of Mississippi, um, and then a master's of education at Christian Brothers University, which is a um, school in Memphis, Tennessee, and then a um, doctor of education, East Tennessee State University. I've worked um, at two institutions of higher education, um, Western Carolina University, which is in Western North Carolina, and now here at Middle Tennessee State. I was at Western Carolina for six years. Um, and I've been here at Middle Tennessee for about 10 years. Uh, and the position at Western Carolina, I was, in, I was um, director of disability services. And here at Middle Tennessee, I've been direct, I've been the director of our disability and access center. I did that for how many years was that? 2013, four years. Um, and I've been at this, in this position of director of ADA compliance for the university um, for now five, for five years. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me as far as my background, uh, education-wise. Um, it's funny, you know, people, students, especially when I work with students, um, freshmen, especially the freshmen would come in and see, wow, you got four degrees, that's great. And I went, yeah, it is. <laughs> but the reason why is not all that great. And it's because I just sort of didn't know what to do. And mm. I just kept going back to school, thinking I'd figure it out. Um, and thankfully, I was blessed in that it ultimately did work out, but I definitely wouldn't recommend that route to everybody. Um, but that's that, so my educational background, a lot of it, a lot of it was just sort of floating and trying to figure things out. Uh, as far as three, as far as three words, uh, I guess, three adjectives, I suppose. Um, uh, I'm direct, a uh, bit goofy. I'll give myself goofy. My wife would definitely call me goofy. Uh, and um, let's see, I'm trying to think what my kids would call me. You know, I'll throw a noun in there. My kids would call me dad. So I'll, I'll myself that. So and I'm happy to be that. So yeah, direct goofy and dad. Oh, wonderful. Thank you very much. You could wish anyone to know the information in this chapter. Who would it be and why? You know, when I, when I got this question initially, um, I, I've changed, I wrote an answer, but I've changed my answer now. And I think it, ultimately it's those who advise people with disabilities about the workspace. 
you know, we talked earlier about, I, I, I want the people who advise to not pigeonhole people, to know that just, just about any job is, is possible. Uh, and rather than continually pigeonhole people. So that inclusivity is real. It's possible. It takes a little bit of work, but not nothing that's going to be overly daunting or nothing that would be an undue burden. Um, and so, yeah, I think people who advise uh, people with disabilities throughout their lives, throughout their lives, so people in high schools, people um, in organizations and all of those, all of those things. Yeah. And I would add on to that list um, from some research I've been doing with um, folks with disabilities that are new professionals working in higher education, faculty, staff, yeah. um, because they go to anyone who they feel a connection with, you know, an individual with a disability does. So even parents could benefit. Absolutely. Um, you know, so. No, that's think, fantastic. You're absolutely right. So anyone who's advising, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you um, for highlighting that and bringing that up. I'm curious to know, um, Dr. Alexis, is it your experience that um, those with disabilities might take longer when they're in the job search? I, I, we were just talking about giving advice. And so it led me to think of this question. Sure. I think as a general concept, um, yes. Uh, and I think there's be, and the reason being, um, you know, there's obviously differences or else we wouldn't be having this conversation between uh, a person with a disability and one without. Uh, and one of those differences is that um, a person with a disability does have some things. I mean, everyone does, of course, we all know this, that our strengths and weaknesses and that sort of thing. But there are some things that they just maybe can't do. Uh, you know, they're substantially limited. You know, if you go by the, by the definition of disability, they're substantially limited in a major life activity. So there are some things that maybe, maybe, or maybe I shouldn't say can't do, maybe they can't, or they are substantially limited to the point that maybe they can't do it to a level that would be satisfactory to the work to the workplace. And so since that fact is there, as a person with a disability, you will be limited to some degree in the job hunt. There might be, some, and so you have to be, I think, a little more or you have to be cognizant of that, of course. And of course, uh, you know, obviously an individual would be, they live with it every day. Um, but by being cognizant of that, you also have to have to then, that has to then, you know, bleed over into the, the job search in that you have to look for jobs that have duties, that have duties that fit within, the, within that. So, um, and so that could eliminate jobs that, once again, the general, the general population, if you will, that, you know, I can do that well enough, or I can do this well enough and that sort of thing. It might not be my strength, but I could build that up and that sort of thing. Whereas a person with a disability has to be much more mindful of that. And, and yes, there are some jobs that they might not be able to do. And, and that's just a fact of life. And so their job hunt is going to be much more limited, can't, can't quite be as widespread. And of course, that's going to change from manifestation or from individual to individual based on manifestation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the, the right answer there is yes, because um, it's another layer, another layer of discernment and a very significant layer of discernment, not whether or not I just like it or can I do that for three or four years and jump to another... I mean, everybody has to be discerning with their job hunt, of course, but it's another layer of discernment and a major layer of discernment that's going to um, disqualify several jobs um, for people and therefore limit their job, um, their potential job opportunities 
when you're talking about a person with a disability. So yeah, I think just just by that nature, it, it, it will more than likely take longer. Mm -hmm. Thank you for um, sharing that with us. I think that's important for us to hear. Um, for this podcast related to the chapter. And I actually was able to follow up with them. And the quote they identified is found on page 43 in the third full paragraph. I'm gonna go ahead and read it for us. And I'm not going to include any of the citations. I'm just gonna simply ask our listeners if they want to know the citations in it, they can look at the monograph. The process of enacting oppressive biases towards those with disabilities involves identifying what is normal for those who are able-bodied and using it as a type of conscious or unconscious schemata for understanding how disabled people differ. When it comes to the employment process, this process results in individuals with disabilities encountering countless barriers, including employment discrimination, a reluctance to hire, exclusionary corporate cultures and policies that cause work disincentives. I'll turn it over to um, Dr. Alexis and see if he has any thoughts related to that. Oh, I mean, it's a it's a loaded um, quote. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and I mean, I don't mean that in a very positive way. Um, and I think it, it, I would imagine, and like you said, we can only guess what the authors were thinking and why they picked this, is that though it is very much at the heart of, I think, the chapter, that people with disabilities have many barriers. Let's not sugarcoat it. There are many barriers in the hiring process, um, some of which there's not much they can they can do about it. Uh, and I think in identifying that and being honest about that, as I mentioned, one of my words was direct. Uh, I was trying to be direct and being honest about that. It helps people with disabilities. If, if you know the terrain, you know how to prepare for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, that would be my guess as to why they picked that, because it's important that they know the terrain and know what they're embarking on so that they can prepare properly. Absolutely. And I, um, as a person with multiple disabilities, some visible and some invisible, I heard it also connected to a little bit of, um, I think that I, the very first time I was job searching with as a disabled person wasn't necessarily uh, prepared for myself was how much of a mind game it was going to be for me. And I needed to get my head around because of, uh, you know, walking into the experience and wondering if something was related to my disability or if it wasn't um, in the way that I was reading the room, if you will, like you do, you know, you're already anxious enough and nervous enough going through the job search process. And then to have to add on top of that, um, knowing that there's these biases out there and um, just the conversation we were having earlier about sometimes people's narrow focus of they're deciding what you're capable of doing or not. I shared with that quote earlier about how I feel like sometimes people are deciding for me what my future is going to be without knowing or having any input from me about if I think I can contribute or do that work or what I could contribute and do. Um, and so I always find it amazing when that limitation is suddenly there. And, and like I said, I have a visible um, disability that a person would notice and and so 
that is something that right away messes with my mind. And, um, and, and, and it is out there. I, I mean, I experience it just going grocery shopping at the store. Someone will strike up a conversation to try to talk to me about it. And I always find it fascinating that, um, there's people who will ask questions and, um, you know, I listened to a piece of advice my mom gave me a long time ago, which is to just assume that they're asking the question because they care and they're trying to be helpful. And, um, that allows me to have and maintain my, my mind in a little bit more of a healthier place, especially when it comes to confidence. Cause I've been right there in that place of what is going on with my confidence, um, related to this. And so, and I, I think this quote kind of gets at that and it, it is a reality and it's important to recognize. I'm not sure that it, takes it away completely to go into those experiences, knowing that there might be some conscious or unconscious bias in the situation, both that you bring and that um, the employer might bring, depending on what side of the equation you're on when it comes to job searching. But I think knowing that it's there makes it a little bit, helps you get prepared to navigate through it a little bit more. Um, At least it helps me know that I need to decompress afterwards and, um, find my people who, depending on how it went, that I can get it out of my system if I need to vent, um, or what have you. And so that's sort of something I'll, I'll put out there related to this quote. And I do happen to know the authors, um, as one of the editors to the monograph and, um, but I'm not them. So I will say that. Dr. Alexis, um, you saw in the chapter, starting on page 45, recommendations for candidates with disabilities going through the job search process, as well as um, similarly, but opposite point of view, recommendations for the employers are offered starting on page 47. I'd be curious to hear from you and your experiences if you have any recommendations not listed that you would add to those lists. And if so, what are they? And why are those the ones you selected to share with us? Sure. Uh, well, I don't know if it's necessarily that an an addition, just more of a. Um, I think it would have been or, or could have been helpful to expound a bit or um, strengthen a, a bit. And I, I'm not. I want to be very clear. I'm not intending to in any way undermine what the authors have provided. Uh, and obviously, they probably had a limited amount of space in which to provide it. Um, but, you know, one thing we talked about, um, was, um, uh, you know, the importance and, and that's always the question to disclose or not to disclose. Uh, and, you know, they did address that and, um, and it was a little bit, it's your decision, uh, in, in some ways, you know, it can go either way, but ultimately it is your, and it absolutely is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one to ever suppress someone's freedom of speech. Hey, you want to tell somebody that's up to you. Um, but with that being said, um, I think it is helpful, uh, especially because, like I said, that is such a common question. Uh, once again, if not, you know, the ultimate question that that, uh, that someone really needs to know uh, or th- th- give, give them some some sense of peace. And so I would have liked a little more. 
a little more of an opinion there, I suppose. And maybe the, the idea was walking the fence, and I get that from a manuscript perspective. Um, because, I mean, just to give my take, I, I just don't think it, there's any reason to disclose. Uh, it's just basic job interview um, one, you know, or, or advice. For instance, um, I have five children. I'm very, you know, proud of my children because sometimes I would get people, well, I want to mention because I'm proud of it. I don't want to hide it. I'm not, it's not about pride. It's not about any of that. It really is about interview strategy. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm proud of my five children, uh, obviously. Um, but if I mention my five children, I have to understand that I could be opening up the idea of what, well, now the employer is going to think, well, he's got five kids. Kids get sick. Kids have plays. Kids have after school activities. You know, I really want someone who's going to be 100% dedicated to this job. They might want a workaholic. I don't know. Um, or whatever they think of. Or they, they begin to get all these assumptions when I say I have five kids. I think this falls under that same banner that ultimately, if I say, if I disclose I have a disability, now you're just opening up a, a lot of questions um, that a person, that, that an employer has. And just from a basic interview strategy, it's just not a good idea. Uh, stick to can you do the job job duty related that sort of thing so I would have since it's such an important question it's a question that just people have so much I would have loved, loved but once again I understand understand why the employer why the authors may not have done that but I would have liked to have seen just more of, of a definitive answer here's why if you kind of almost a list if you do disclose this is what you know you once again I absolutely agree with the authors disclose if you want to but just know here's some realistic possibilities um, and that it might be a better strategy. Once again, basic interview strategy, don't share because it's not. And in that same light, I would have loved to have seen, and they did a good job uh, talking about from the employer side, uh, you know, questions to ask when asking about job duties uh, as a way you, instead of asking about the disability, you can ask about the duty and the duty and, and how, to, how to walk that tightrope. I think you could take that same chart and give it to the interviewee uh, and saying that if you know, because a lot of people would often say, well, but, but I have these needs based upon, uh, based upon my disability. I know my disability. I know what I need. So I need to know if the employer has that. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So when it's your turn to ask questions, you can ask without talking about your disability. So that you can take that same chart and give it to the interviewee too. So how do you how does an interviewee ask questions to get to the heart of the job duties without mentioning their disability as well? I think that would have been some good advice to, that that goes both ways. So I would recommend that that chart also be read and understood and used by those searching for jobs as well. And it's on page forty nine. That was given to employers, but like I said, I think it be, could be effective on on the on the other side. I also love how they mention um for the for the um jobs searchers or seekers um have realistic expectations and we talked about this before i think that's just so important i, I want to emphasize it again uh you know you a person that really knows their needs and it's not every job is going to work and that's true for every once again for every job seeker but i think once again there's another layer there for instance you know i, I know one of the biggest impediments to, for people with disabilities is transportation um, so you're going to have to work someplace and consider your transportation needs um, and those type and those type of instances. So I don't necessarily think I, I would, you know, when I revisited it and thought about it, I would necessarily add everything. I think they hit things um, fairly well. And once again, I'm 
without knowing the parameters, I would imagine that there was a limited amount of space they could, or, or obviously they could have expounded on this for many, many, many pages. Um, um, so I just think I would just like to add just a little bit more oomph, like if you will, to some to, to some of the some of the points that were mentioned. Sure. I can tell you as one of the editors to the monograph, they absolutely had a, a page limitation. Sure. And so, um, and there was a desire um, for a conciseness and a directness, mm -hmm. but also I appreciate what you mentioned related to resources, because we did want to read to leave our readers with resources. And so even you just um, recommending reading the chart from the opposite perspective as a job seeker, um, I think per makes it into a resource um, for job seekers. And sure. so I think that that's a helpful thing for the listeners out there to know about um, each of the chapters. And we did want the chapters to still be standalone, but not necessarily, you know, we see the entire monograph as something that five years from now, maybe it's volume number two mm -hmm. or the second edition of it or what have you, it gets updated because certainly technology is influencing all of these things. Um, because part of what I was going to ask you um, related to what you just shared is um, what are your thoughts about individuals? And I'll use myself as an example. So I have multiple disabilities, some visible, some not, but for an on-campus interview, there are absolutely accommodations that I need. Mm -hmm. And um, every time I hear the advice about not disclosing, I think in my mind, well, that's lovely for people who can choose not to disclose, mm -hmm. but I can't do that. And so um, I have to ask for an accommodation. Um, and I view it as more helpful to the other person, if I explain, I'm not talking like the entire story of how I got my disabilities or anything like that. But if I just share, I have foot drop, I can't use my left ankle. And so that's why I need assistance, you know, for a campus tour. Mm -hmm. um, is there a way that we could get a golf cart or, you know, something like that? And I do try to offer um, some ideas of things that I have no idea if they're applicable or not, you know, most of the time they are. Um, but you know, what are your thoughts for those folks, others who might like be like me who are in that camp of that's lovely, but I can't not disclose this. Mm -hmm. Um, it has to be something because I'm going to need to ask for an accommodation when I'm, if I take that step, like in the example I shared the on campus, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts for them? I still say uh, the, it, the thoughts are still intertwined in that. You still want to disclose as little as as need as needed so if you need a golf cart just ask for a golf cart you don't have to go into the details as to why um if they come to their their conclusion themselves then allow them to come to the conclusion themselves um ultimately you know once again don't give any information that could potentially harm you you know don't be your own worst enemy potentially um so once again, it, it, they are intertwined, and then you would work, and then you would want to work with HR, not with the um, the committee chair, or you know the, the search committee chair, or or anything like that, as far as arranging um, the accommodations, uh, if they need and whatever process that is, you'd follow the process. Um, but they don't need to know why you need the golf cart. They don't need to know why you need you know. And yes, they'll figure things out, but let them figure it out. You know, once again, don't don't you. 
because I think another thing, I think this is more of a human thing, um, or maybe specific humans, so don't let me not get too general, but when we start talking, especially about things that are personal to us, we will often overshare. Mm. And so, but I, they need to know this. Okay, okay, just know that if you don't catch yourself, you might start oversharing. And especially when you're nervous, especially when you feel the natural power dynamic weighing on you. And yes, there is a natural power dynamic, obviously, in the interview process. And you feel that weight. And yeah, sometimes you start blabbing away. And you don't realize what you're disclosing and what you're giving up. Um, and so it, it, while I fully, you're right, if you need to request an accommodation for the interview process, you're going to have to disclose to some degree. But I still think the advice is, is essentially the same. Disclose as little as you need. Uh, I just think that's the safest strategy. And once again, it's not about shame. It's not about pride. It's not about any of that. It's about interview strategy. And it's about, because once again, there is that power dynamic that we have to acknowledge. But we have, at the same time, there are ways we can diffuse that power dynamic to some degree. You cannot eliminate it. The interviewer has power over the interviewee. Absolutely. However, it doesn't mean the interviewee has no power. The interviewee gets to decide what job is best for them. What job are they most qualified for? They get to you know, disclose what they want to disclose and what they feel comfortable disclosing. The interviewer can only ask certain questions and can only ask them in certain ways, hence that chart, for instance. There is some power, so use the power that you have. Don't, don't make that gap even wider. It's already, it's already wide enough. Um, and so um, that, that, that would be my advice and let them come to their own conclusions. Often I would have um, people ask, you know, you know, legally speaking, uh, and when I say let them come to their own conclusions, I guess what I mean by that is I would have when I work disability services, a family, well, well, if a student's not there for a test because they're testing with you all and another student asks, what do I say? You know, you just say the person has, a, you know, you don't have to tell them anything. Oh, they're taking the they're taking the test somewhere else. Tell the truth. That's the truth. That person is taking the test somewhere else. But why can't I take the test somewhere else? Well, it's because the university said so. <laughs> Just tell them the truth. And if they figure it out, fine, they figured out. But you didn't disclose anything inappropriate, untoward, or anything like that, or illegal even. Same thing. You know why disclose things? And if they figure it out, then let them figure it out. Even if it's obvious, even if you're, you know, you have a hearing impairment, you need, you need sign language interpreting. Just say, I need sign language interpreting. And why go into all of that? It's just not going to benefit you. And then, like I said, I emphasize too, but I just notice, and I'll, I, I will fall on this sword myself. I notice it in myself. If I start talking about things that are personal, if I start talking about things that are meaningful to me, um, that sort of thing, sometimes I overshare and that sort of thing. So I just think as a basic strategy, disclose as little as possible and on that side, talk about the job, talk about the job and your qualifications and all that and all those other things, just they need to kind of be left by the wayside as much as possible. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. Well, um, before we say goodbye today, I just kind of want to open it up and to ask if there's anything you would like to share about this chapter that hasn't been mentioned yet. Uh, I think it's important, once again, I, I just want to sort of expound on the idea of disclosing in that it's a, a general thing. There's no doubt that there are times where it's helpful to disclose. My wife is a person with paraplegia. She's a wheelchair user. 
And there's no doubt that when I was um, interviewing for disability services positions, I would mention that. Um, and I would mention it strategically because I want them to know that while I personally don't have a disability and I'm not gonna say I fully understand what it means to live with disability, I do have a direct association and that's helpful in that, in that regard. Um, so yes, there are times where it could be helpful to disclose. I want to be, my advice was very general. I want to be very clear there. And then I do want to emphasize that once you get the job, absolutely disclose, especially, you know, then they've already got you and, and, and there's all sorts of protections for you. Um, so please do, because I mean, that's a big part of my job is working with people who once they're hired, that they disclose. Um, as far as, um, I touched on this earlier, and I just wanted to go into a little bit more detail about it, um, is that as we're training or using the information uh, from this chapter um, and discussing with employers, uh, and is that, uh, and like I said, I touched on it earlier, that fine line between uh, when we talk about inclusivity uh, and being careful not to end up uh, further othering. Uh, we know that employers are, you know, and it was very rightly stated, employers are already have some nervous energy um, around um, disability and employing people with disability. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, it's the, it's the group, believe me, I love the ADA. My, my job is director of ADA compliance, but I fully understand that there is a downside in that people get a little more nervous because they know there's a legal element. Um, and, and that sort of thing. So we know those that nervousness exists. Um, and so if we come in with a, with a whole lot of other stuff about where the goal would be inclusivity, but if we continue to say, and you've got to do this and this and this and this and this, then you can't help but naturally see it that this that we're that we're also furthering othering. So I just, it's a very fine line that we walk when we train uh, on information like this, especially with nervous populations. Um, and, and so they're already looking at people with disabilities as others. Uh, and that we can only make, that if we're not careful, uh, if the training isn't done carefully and in a very um, and sensitive to that fact, to their nervousness as well. Um, you know, kind of know your audience, you know, is, is you know, a tenant of any public speaking. Um, you know, we might ha have effects that, you know, unintended effects, no doubt, uh, of, and, and widening that gap. So it just, just always be careful with, with that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that back up again and highlighted again. I think it's, it is very important for us to, to hear and to know, because I think it's very easy to fall into that and think that you're helping mm -hmm. and, um, without realizing until potentially right now, when you reflect back, because we brought up the subject, realizing that, oh, maybe what I did was left them feeling like, oh, now I have to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I really don't want to deal with this and almost affirming the bias that right. is, out there that we all acquire from just living in our society um, and a bias that's not necessarily true, but certainly doesn't, certainly doesn't have an opportunity to be um, unearthed and dissected um, if it's confirmed. So, Absolutely. or it's much, much harder to. So, so like when, when I talk about the ADA with people, I make a point to and once again, knowing my audience, when I'm talking to people without disabilities, the employers and, and, and people, in the, I make a point to emphasize that it is a collaborative 
situation to 80 people think it's 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 the legal hammer oh i gotta do this and i, I get that all the time so, well the ADA, there's the ada guy i've got to do this i got to do that and i always make a point to emphasize no i'm here to talk about can we do this can we do that you tell me about your area will can your area sustain this and then all of a sudden you see a, like a light because so now they get to talk about what they know about now they get to call they get to be comfortable now they get to have a voice in the conversation and to your point exactly right that's the truth the, the ada was written as a very i mean it left provisions all within it uh, a lot of things unfunded for instance people cause people nuts uh but so even funding is is uh, but i mean so there's a lot of some people will say it's weaknesses I, I i get that but at the same time i think it's a, a, a reality too i think the weaknesses are the unfunded part but the but the reality is that we have to meet somewhere in the middle and 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 reminding people of that it's not this huge legal hammer and that is the truth that's the way the ada that's why the undue written uh, i mean undue burden not otherwise qualified um financial burden all of those things are uh, are in that uh, because the, because the in, the people who own the environments if you will they have a say too uh, and that's the way the law is written. That's the spirit of the law. That's everything. And reminding people of that and having that discussion that way, that it's a coming together. Um, you know, once again, that's the whole point of inclusivity is that we grow our population. We grow the diversity of our population. More people are open to what we offer um, and all of that. I, I know when I speak to content creators even, and I, don't, I know I'm leaving the employment element, but I talk to content creators about, you know, why their videos have to be accessible and why this and the other, you know, I get a lot of, oh, here's the, once again, here's the ADA guy saying, let's do this, but that's not how, how you frame it. You frame it as, all right, when you created this video, did you want less people to, to, to experience it or more? And then everybody always laughs and go, well, yeah, the no content creator ever created something hoping less people would experience. Well, here's how you can make more people experience it. Once again, it's about bringing everyone, you know, and, and bringing everyone's, you know, side um, and, and everyone's comfort level, everyone's experiences, everyone in, and that's, and, and that's always the true nature of inclusivity. Um, and once again, to your, to your point, that's the nature of the, and if you want to bring the law into it, that's the nature of the law is that all parties will be heard and a reasonable, that's why reasonable is littered throughout it, a reasonable outcome will, will come from it. And I just think that's, in my opinion, the appropriate way to handle the training um, and we're just going to be careful that that's what we're emphasizing rather than growing so passionate about, and I can fall on this too, about, you know, one side or the other that once again, we lose that and, and only make things worse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to Dr. Alexis for joining me today to discuss job searching with a disability and employing individuals with disabilities, which is chapter six of the monograph, Creating Inclusivity While Providing Accommodations, a practical guide to champion individuals with disabilities on campus. If you haven't yet had a chance to read it, I encourage you to do so. The publication is free and can be found at myacpa.org. A link to the publication will also be added to the notes of this podcast. I hope our session today was beneficial to you, our listener. As always, thanks for listening to season two, including ability of the Coalition for Disabilities Talk and Disability podcast.
If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us wherever it is that you found this podcast. While you're at it, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to come back next week for a discussion about providing accessible professional development. Until then, this is your host, Sarah Shopper, and don't forget to include ability. This podcast was created by the Coalition for Disability, ACPA College Student Educators International. It was produced, recorded, and edited by Sarah Shopper, including Ability, a season two of the Talk and Disability podcast for the Coalition. <laughs>